Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Ready to pop the question and take advantage of 30% off? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com to get 30% off. Select lab-grown diamonds. That's BlueNile.com for 30% off lab-grown diamonds. BlueNile.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome back. Welcome back to another week. Welcome back to another episode. Welcome back to If I Didn't Laugh, I'd Cry. How is everybody doing? How's been your week? What have you been thinking, feeling? You know, the vibes. Let's reflect. You know what I mean? I've been good. I've been good. I have had a busy week and it's going really quickly. Um, I'm recording this a little bit earlier than usual. You know what I mean? Because I'm off on my travels and I don't want to be, I don't want to be pulling around equipment to record in a hotel room. I don't really like it when I record um, in my hotel rooms. Because it's not tea, it's not comfortable, it's not like I'm at home, you know what I mean? So I'm recording a little bit beforehand, but otherwise I've been good. Um, it was a good weekend, had lives and half terms about to start as well. So I'm excited for that, really excited for that. Taking some days off to do just mommy, mommy activities, you know, just being a mommy. <laughs> but um, otherwise I hope everybody's doing good. I hope you have been having a good week and whenever you're listening to this i hope everything is good anyway guys it's just me so let's get into it i have got nothing to get off my chest absolutely nothing to get off my chest and i did have an embarrassing if i didn't laugh i'd cry story but poof poof gone out of my mind i tried to call dalu because i told him or we had discussed it a little bit and he was like yeah you can say that on the podcast rah, rah, rah. but he ignored my call so i think i'm single now you know what i mean i think my relationship is done because he ignored my call send me a text you know those generic messages that says can i call you later can you call me later <laughs> it sounds like you're breaking up with me <laughs> So guys, I'm single again, on the market again, you know what I mean? <laughs> so I don't have a story to tell you because my man's or whatever didn't even pick up the call. But moving swiftly on, we are continuing on the journey. We're coming to the end of it now. It has gone really, really slow, this series. 
purely because it has been really hectic um, for my brain to do all the research. I am grateful for it, though. I think it has made me really, like, it has reaffirmed why I believe what I believe. And it has also made me deep the confusion out there because I'm the type of person that's just, like, always been quite sure. Even when I didn't know who I was, I was quite sure of who I was. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm just one of those people. So... When I was on my quest for the truth, it's like I was very certain that God existed. I was very certain in that, in that, that God existed. And I was very certain that the God which exists, whoever he is, whichever denomination it is, he would make everything plain and simple. You know what I mean? I was sure of that, that whenever this God reveals himself to me, Everything is going to be plain, simple, and it's going to make sense. And what I found was way more than what I anticipated. But the research that I have been doing in other faiths and other religions, listen, I can see why people are confused, 100%. I mean, I was confused before, but I was sure of something. And other people are not sure of anything, but they're seeking something. And they seek something by going to try out different things. I stayed still. I have tried out and I've gone to other like churches, but not to seek if that church is the truth. I've gone because I've been invited or, you know, Mama Junior is a woman. <laughs> so I'm going to go with my man to support him because he's the love of my life. Um, but outside of that, I didn't go searching by practicing. I stayed still. Am I making sense? I spoke to God, whoever you are, revealed to me the truth and I kind of stayed still. Whereas other people bounce from this to that. They start reading so many spiritual books and they get their minds so confused and clogged in the quest for truth. And I get that. I get that. But I feel like, as, as Cheryl Cole said, yeah, too much of anything can make you sick. And I believe in that. So... Without further ado, um, Tawanga, why don't you believe in Buddhism, Hinduism, spiritualism, uh, what was the other one, Catholicism, uh, Judaism, Islam, you know? And why don't you believe in this mixture of other religions? Why don't you believe in, what was the other one, general the wide set view of Christianity. Why don't you believe in these things you've covered? You know, why Seventh-day Adventism? All right, so I'll tell you. Who are Seventh-day Adventists? Seventh-day Adventists accept the Bible as their only creed and hold certain fundamental beliefs to be the teaching of the Holy Scriptures. These beliefs constitute the church's understanding and expressions of the teaching of scripture. Revision of these statements may be expected, as in like what you can find on the website, may be expected at a quinquennial general conference session whenever the church is led by the Holy Spirit to a fuller understanding of the Bible truth, or if better language is found to express these teachings of God's holy word. 
So the Seventh-day Adventists um, have 28 fundamental beliefs, which can be organized into six categories of doctrine, God, man, salvation, the church, daily Christian life, and last day events. Okay? So if you were to go on the website, you will see the different beliefs when it comes to God, um, to God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and explaining further and things like that. Okay. So that is the the gist of Seventh-day Adventists, really. The Seventh-day Adventists is upholding the Protestant conviction of Sola Scriptura, Bible only. So that's what the Seventh-day Adventists believe. Anyway, it's that simple, really. The Bible and the Bible alone, the Bible and the Bible only is what the Seventh-day Adventists believe. Now, having been a Seventh-day Adventist since birth by default because of my parents it's like I grew up a little bit like um I would say querying in my head obviously about our beliefs because there are a lot of people who say a lot of things about the Seventh-day Adventist church now our church I think it's like a little bit of a misunderstanding right I've come to realize there's a little bit of misunderstanding um, because the founder of the church or how the church came to be, people think that that was the doing of the Seventh-day Adventists. So everybody, if you've got the time, at some point, look up the great disappointment of 1844. It made news. People knew about it. Now, this was a period of time when a man called William Miller um, got vision or received visions about last day events right and i might be i might be misspeaking but this is how i know the story so my guy now became a little bit he started studying the book of daniel became a little bit obsessed with it but in a good way and he started putting all the pieces together prophecies you know like linking everything time period time frames da 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 and he then concluded and he didn't it wasn't just him there was a group of other people who joined him on this. He then concluded that Christ was going to return. I think at first it was like 1843, then it changed to 1844. But anyway, there was a following of people who believed in this prophecy that Christ was going to come back in 1844, right? Anyway, um, it was like a group of Baptists. And from that, People sold their possessions, people left their farms, didn't harvest anything, people gave things away, people just left everything because they were preparing for the second coming. You know, people gave their possessions away. And obviously, the Bible says nobody knows the day of the hour or the hour, and Christ did not return. And thus, the great disappointment. Right. In the lead up to these events, there was events that happened i think i've already spoken about it at some point there were events that happened in a run-up to these events that really did lead people to believe that jesus was was going to come i.e the dark day the bible talks about in that in the in the book of revelation where the sun just turned dark as dark as the night during the day even the animals went back to their place where they sleep and the nighttime the moon was as if um, blood, basically blood red. And the Bible in the book of Revelation, the same verse, speaks about that. Stars falling from heaven, that event happened. And a great earthquake, that event happened, 
right? And I'm not saying them in no particular order. But these events happened in the lead up to 1844. So people were convinced that Jesus is coming again soon because the events written about in the Bible, it's, it's happening. And obviously, he didn't come. Now, that's when SDAs, now known SDAs, they were not known as Seventh-day Adventists then. They came in and they reviewed the prophecies and the timelines of what these people had done. Some people lost their faith because they were just so disappointed. They lost their faith. And SDAs came in and they were like, listen, the, the interpretations of this, like the timelines and the things like that, right? Great. Great. You get me? It's, it's right. The, the, the prophecy interpretations of Daniel, they are correct. The event is what's not correct. You understand? The event is what's not correct. And this is what the event is. And the, basically, the SDA scrutinized and studied the Bible to, to come out with the answer of what the event was. And the event was Christ has moved from the holy place to the most holy place. Now, if you look at the sanctuary tabernacle practices in the book of Genesis and you look at the role of a high priest and what the sacrificial, um, the sacrificial rituals were, this makes sense, especially because Christ is that sacrificial lamb. He's both the lamb and the high priest. He's both the man and God. So he's performing these duties in a like in a ritualistic way, ritualistic or ritualistic, is performing these rituals, but to complete the work that he has begun. There's a, there's a verse or a part in the book of Hebrews, I think, that talks about the heavenly sanctuary, um, the earthly sanctuary having been a, basically a model of the heavenly sanctuary. If that's the case, then one can now think that the reason why God was so particular on the, the, the type of materials used and who performs the duties, how the duties are performed, the, um, the atonement, things like that was so particular. Could it be because that's what would happen in the heavenly temple as well? Anyway, questions that might one need to think, you know, people need to consider because I don't want you to take my word for it. I don't want you to take my word for it and to be like, oh, you know what? This is right because Tawonga said, and this is what the Seventh-day Adventists believe. Test it. The Bible says test every single spirit. Pray about it and read about it and conclude for yourself if this is right or if this is not right. You understand? So... They now say that, you know what, this is this is Wagwan for this X, Y, and Z. And thus the, the Seventh-day Adventists believe, believed and believe still that they are the remnant church, right? The last day people who will spread the truth of the gospel and the truth about the Bible. Hence why we believe in the Bible and the Bible alone. But from this came a woman called Ellen G. White. Now this woman, and I'm going to speak in a objective way for somebody who doesn't believe in this woman. This woman claims to have received visions from God and to have received word from God 
and she has written many books about her visions, what she has seen, and she has also done a lot of Bible commentary. She has written letters to the church, and she has done a lot of work, a lot of work for God. Now, people have an issue with LNG White because LNG, they claim, how can you claim to be a prophet? Why you? Why the Seventh-day Adventist Church? Now, the Seventh-day Adventist Church always, they turn to scripture as to why LNG White is a true prophet. Again, test every single spirit. Now, what are the markers of a prophet? You know, the Bible does say that some people have got the gift of prophecy. Now, this could be having the visions and giving prophecy or interpreting prophecy you know what i mean have you noticed that some people find it really easy to go and look in the bible and look at prophecy and then they can tell you what it means and and you're thinking rah i i've tried to read the book of revelation i'm just afraid i, I don't even get it i don't understand it whereas other people can study the book of revelation and they can tell you the meaning and you're thinking how that's called a spiritual gift you know what i mean um so Ellen G. White, um, she, the way she writes about it, um, if you read one of her books, it's called um, Early Writings. She talks about how she felt called by God and God had chosen her. And she was like, nope, not me, choose somebody else. You know what I mean? Choose somebody else. I don't want to do this. And she basically refused in a sense, but God went forth and basically showed that he wanted her to do the work now i can understand why people might be turned off by the idea of ellen g white being a prophet or a prophetess but i've always wondered i used to feel the same way and i was born and raised seventh-day adventist but i used to feel the same way and i questioned the same things but it's only when i had converted right? And conversion doesn't mean that I have converted from a different church to a different church. It means my heart was transformed. My mind was changed. It's only then that I really was like, let me, let me read what she says. Let me see what one for Ellen G. White. And I can say from the bottom of my heart, my honest, true opinion, I would never would not want to be objective with you, man, but my honest, true opinion is this is a woman of God and she's inspired by God. Her Bible commentary, she makes it so easy to understand certain things. She brings light to things that you'd never have considered. Read the desire of ages. It's amazing. It's beautiful. You know, the great controversy. It's amazing. And her knowledge of history and to piece things together. It's amazing. People have had issues as well with her because they say, oh, Ellen G. White is a plagiarizer. To me, quite frankly, that doesn't bother me whatsoever. We all borrow each other's work from time to time. And plagiarizing rules were very different back in the day. You understand what I'm saying? But then what shall we say then that Jesus plagiarized? Because Jesus was quoting the prophets and the patriarchs constantly. You know, shall we say then that Paul is a is a plagiarizer because he some of his work, he's quoting Psalms, he's quoting this, he's quoting that. You know what I mean? And he doesn't cite where he gets it from. So to me, it doesn't really bother me. But I think the message is what bothers me. And I don't think LNG White 
was doing it for fame in order for her to be like, oh, I plagiarized. And the fact that many people don't know about LNGY in particular lets me know that it's, it's really not that deep. But anyway, so that's a brief overview without going into many details or specifics about the, uh, the SDA church. But from that movement, from that great disappointment came the movement of um, the SDA. That's when it was born. And the SDAs believe in the Sabbath being the seventh day. They believe basically, like I said, the Bible and the Bible alone. Ellen G. White, in her writings, with everything that she writes, she points to the Bible. She says, go and read the Bible. Use the Bible. Your Bible should be your standard. To me, when it's a false prophet, they don't point you to the Bible. They point you to themselves. They want you to trust in them. But Ellen G. White says, trust in God. Jesus is the only way. Read the Bible. I am a lesser light pointing you to a greater light. Beautiful, beautiful. Because it reminds me of John the Baptist where he says, I must decrease and he must increase. Beautiful. Some of the Adventists and their beliefs in creation. God has revealed in scripture the authentic and historical account of his creative activity. He created the universe and in a recent six-day creation, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Thus, he established the Sabbath as a perpetual memorial of the work he performed and completed during six literal days that together with the Sabbath constituted the same unit of time that we call a week today. The first man and woman were made in the image of God as the crowning work of creation, given dominion over the world and charged with responsibility to care for it. When the world was finished, it was very good, declaring the glory of God. Now, if you were to ever be interested to go on the SDA website, they have given many scriptures, many I have read before, like um, Genesis chapter 1, 2, um, chapter 1, chapter 2, Exodus chapter 20, where I've read you the commandment. But some of them I haven't read before. So let me go and read Psalms 19. Let's go to Psalms 19, verse 1 to 6. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth and the words of the end the words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tabernacle for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoices like a strong man to run to its race. Its rising is from one end of the of heaven, and its circuit to the other end, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. Who can argue with what I've just read? Who can turn around and say that's not true? Who can turn around and say, Tawanga, that doesn't make any sense. Can anything indeed hide from the sun's heat? Does the sun not circle this world, this planet? Does, do the heavens truly not declare the glory of God? Can we not see God's handiwork, 
or are we going to keep limiting it to randomness or are we going to limit this to Brahma or are we going to limit this to Allah or are we going to give the God of the Bible his flowers, his due respect? Are we going to reverence the God of the Bible, the creator God? Okay, let's read Psalm 19, uh, Psalm 33, verse 6 to 9. Psalm 33, verse 6 to 9. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made and all the hosts of them by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters. He gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. He lays up he lays up the deep in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it was done. He commanded and he stood fast. Who can argue with this? Okay, let's go to Acts 17 verse 24. God who made the world and everything in it since he is Lord of heaven and earth does not dwell in temples, in temples made with hands. And now last but not least, let's go to Revelation 10, verse 6. Revelation 10, verse 6. And it reads, I'm going to actually read from 5. The angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised up his hands to heaven and he swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are in it, the earth and the things that are in it and the sea and the things that are in it, that there should be delay no longer. Now, this is a prophecy, so it means something. But the, the particular focal point of why I read this is the creator God. Listen, the Bible over and over and over always reminds us who God is. The Bible God is the creator God, and that's his signature. Hence why many people in the Bible, many authors, always bring it back to the fact that he created. God created. He created the heavens and earth. He created the sea, all that is in them. He created all the animals. He created you and he created me. That's the God that I believe in. And that's why I'm a Seventh-day Adventist, because this is what we believe. We believe in this God. And we reverence the name of God. We fear the Lord. Fear in a sense of, I respect you, God, and fear because you are mighty. I am an ant <laughs> compared to you. I am an ant. <laughs> so I ought to respect you and I ought to fear you. But if I am walking with God and I am giving God, I am fearing the Lord. I ought not to be afraid of him, like trembling afraid. I'm not, I don't tremble. I don't tremble at the thought of God. I am comforted at the thought of God but I am also humbled at the thought of a creator God because I know in comparison, I am nothing. I am nothing. We are just but worms. So Seventh-day Adventists and the meaning of life. Now, the general sense of like, this is what life means, didn't find that. But 
I did find this, the meaning of life. We were created with consciousness. We not only sense our surroundings, but we are also aware of them. We can process things voluntarily and make decisions based on the sensory information we take in. We were made to be creative. God created the earth and gave us the ability to create things within the earth. Though God is the provider of every material we can use, he made, he made us to be able to express ourselves through the work of our own hands. Indeed, that's true. We're created to exercise authority. While ultimate authority belongs to God, he also gave humanity responsibility. He asked Adam and Eve to take care of the earth. Indeed, he did. We were given the ability to choose. While no one can choose the life they're given, we can all choose what to do with what we're given. We can choose what we give our attention, our love, our allegiance. God didn't want us to be programmed to follow him. He only wants us, wants our hearts if we willingly give them to him. Free agency is a key component to the nature of humanity. From the moment Adam and Eve were created, they had control of their own thoughts, actions, and desires. Genesis paints us a picture of what humanity was meant to be. We were designed to be unique individuals with creative hearts and minds endowed with the power to choose. We were designed to take care of this world and to rule it kindly, becoming good stewards of the incredible planet God made for us. But most importantly, we were designed in God's image, meant to live in a loving relationship with him. When they lived in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve walked and talked with God every day. This can be found in Genesis 3 verse 8. They were the original family living in perfect harmony with the loving God who created them. The meaning of life is to have a relationship with God. The meaning of life is to live a life surrounded by goodness. I always say we were created in glory for glory. We were created in love for love. And that love is God. God is love. You know what I mean? And that's our purpose. And that's the meaning of life. And I think once you, once you surrender to this idea and mentality, what I've just read, I think for me, it, life has become so much easier not only do I have a purpose that is outside of what I can achieve myself a purpose of outside what I can achieve on earth it makes me feel good now people have claimed that the reason why people are religious I don't know if you remember my atheism series people why people choose religion is to make themselves feel better about life you know about death because people are going to die, but we are Delulu, basically. And we want to make ourselves feel better and make ourselves feel like there's something outside of dying after death. Now, that's a general Christian belief that you carry on living, isn't it? You live in a spiritual world. You die and you go, your spirit goes to heaven and you live with God. Or the other religions, every other religion that we, I have covered, they believe in the you will not surely die doctrine. Cool. But Seventh-day Adventists don't believe that. So our meaning of life, why we have a purpose outside of this earthly life is because we know that our earthly life could come to an end immediately. I, I could, As I'm recording, I could die. And this will never make it out. You know what I mean? And that would be it. 
But my hope is that there is life after this life. Now, it's not a ridiculous hope. Because if people can hope for immediate life after death, I don't think it's any more ridiculous to hope for eternal life. But my hope for eternal life, I don't believe it's just a hope. I believe it's real. You don't have to share their beliefs, but I believe it's real. I believe that this life is too, everything is too connected and closely linked where I don't find it a coincidence that most beliefs believe in life after death, immediate life after death that you continue living. I don't find that to be a coincidence. It's something that is close to the truth of eternal life, but not the truth of what eternal life is. And that's the way I reason with myself. And that's the logic I have of if all these people can have this particular idea, but the Seventh-day Adventist church and the Bible claim to, for there to be eternal life after Jesus returns and that the first death is, you're, you're, you're surely dead. You are dead. And your spirit goes nowhere really um, in terms of like to live but you are it's it's known as sleep no consciousness then i don't believe it's a ridiculous thought or a ridiculous idea because it's too close together but not quiet i don't know if i'm making sense and you're following me so to me when it comes to the seventh day adventist beliefs on the meaning of life of who we are and of who humans are i agree because humans are creative and every material that humans use, they do use it from natural resources that God created. That much is true. No one can argue against that. The phones that we use, the materials used from these phones, from these iPhones, were once natural materials. I've got a wooden bed, once a natural material, now carved out into a bed. The heaters, natural materials, everything. But man, man is so creative that he has created something out of something that God created. Everything that we create, it was made first by the creator. That's why we must reverence God. You know what I'm saying? Origins of evil. Right from the beginning of the Bible, God lets us, lets us in on the facts, explaining why ever since sin entered our world, earth has been the battleground of great controversy. All the pain and loss humanity suffers is a result, result of that war. But the war didn't start on earth. Back in heaven, before the earth even existed, there was an angel named Lucifer. He was also called the morning star. Because of this, of his radiance and beauty, we can find this in Isaiah 14, verse 12. This is why I back the SDA church now that I've converted and I've seen the truth for myself. This is why I back it. You will find scriptures quoted in every single thing that they're telling you. They will quote scripture. You will be able to turn to scripture and to find it for yourself. Okay. And I have read this before, how you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, 
son of the morning, how you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. Okay? He was a splendid being, wise and beautiful, one of God's perfect creations. He was one of the great commanders of the angelic hosts. He even held a place of honor upon God's holy mountain, serving as, as the right-hand man to the Trinity itself. The book, of the book of Ezekiel describes Lucifer's splendor. You were the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. You were an anointed guardian cherub. I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God in the midst of the stones of fire you walked. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created to unrighteousness was found in you. And this is Ezekiel 28 verse 12 to 15. These are the origins of evil. Evil did not start with man. Evil started in the heart of an angel, in the heart of Lucifer, now known as Satan. As we have seen, God says you were blameless in your ways from the day you were created. He was made perfect. He didn't create him to be evil. He didn't create evil. He created a perfect blameless angel who had free will and he said to himself wow <laughs> wow look at me hmm? look at me so something went wrong lucifer looked and uh, looked at himself saw his beauty and wisdom and started to wonder why he with all his splendor wasn't equal with god Ezekiel tells us that the king of Tyre grew proud because of his beauty, that his wisdom was corrupted because of his splendor. Lucifer let pride into his heart, letting it drive him to consider himself unequal to God. Isaiah 14 verse 13 to 14. And in that pride, Lucifer, cre Lucifer incited a rebellion, trying to turn the angels of heaven against their creator. He falsely accused God's character, spreading the lies among the angels and calling God an unjust ruler. And some of the angels believed him. They sided with Lucifer, choosing him as their new leader and rose up in rebellion against God. Revelation 12 verse 79 says, Now war rose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated, and there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent, who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Life as you know it, the, the wickedness as you know it, the hearts of people stirring as you know it. When you see somebody having road rage, somebody attacking people, racism, all these things that make you question why. When you see those, it's because these things are, it's like they were, they were incited, they're incited in us, if that makes sense, right? Sin entered the world through Adam and Eve, but there was one who had this wickedness in them, you know? So 
Lucifer once trusted, Lucifer once a trusted angel at God's side betrayed his king, started a rebellion and was kicked out of heaven with his followers. On that day, he became Satan, the deceiver. And that's when all earth's troubles begun. All earth's troubles began. And here we are. Now, out of all the explanations one can give you of why sin is here, the Buddhists say, well, it just is. It's just part of life. Suffering is just part of life. And I don't believe that their beliefs is wrong in terms of like, it's part of life. But that's a very feel-good way of looking at it. It's more deeper than that. And then when you look at Islam, Islam says, well, Allah created it. Allah created the, the, the issues we face. Allah created uh, all these things. Allah, to me, I struggle with that idea that a, a loving God would create diseases, would create problems just to test you and me, you know? But with this explanation of why things are the way they are and why we are in this type of environment, it makes sense. Now, in my language, we say, like you, that's when you hit a wall. Okay, so it makes sense to wonder, but now I've hit a wall. Why didn't God just destroy Lucifer? That's where people's question really, that's where people really have an issue with the creator, God, with the God of the Bible. Well, why didn't he just destroy him then? I've explained this before, I think. Imagine God being accused and there's spectators, there's other angels spectating. Or let's take God out of it, right? Let's take God out of it. Let's use humans. Imagine living in a in a kingdom and there is a ruler and this ruler is just, genuinely just. He cares for the poor, he cares for the needy and his, his judgments when people come to him with issues, he's not greedy and he justly judges these cases, right? And then another ruler rises up in the same kingdom and accuses this ruler of being unfair and being unjust and says like, you know, you've been on the throne for years and years and years. Give somebody else a chance. Just because it's your birthright doesn't mean that other people can't do it. We want basically a referendum. <laughs> we want a referendum. <laughs> and other people are like, yeah, actually what you're saying is making sense. But really that ruler, the person who's risen up against this ruler isn't wanting other people to be leaders. They want themselves to be the leader right and now it's like okay let's let's prove who's just let's prove it and they go head to head and the current ruler basically is found to be better than the one who has opposed would they get banished or not now this is a bit medieval the way i'm the 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 way i'm doing this because i don't know what would happen currently but would they get banished or not now let's say the ruler the current ruler now who was accused is like off with their heads every single person who rose up against me and rebelled you're not gonna just get kicked out we're gonna kill you behead you you are done tell me if the subjects of that kingdom would not grow fearful of the ruler the current ruler that if anyone was to ever think anything in wonder 
of this ruler, they wouldn't have their heads chopped off as well. I hope you have got that and you have followed. That's basically the reason why God didn't lock off Satan. He's just been accused. War has broken out in heaven. The other angels who didn't get deceived, they're there wondering what next? Wagwan for this? What's going on? Yeah. Now imagine God just locked off Satan. All of them would be like, rah. So was he right? But instead, instead, God in his, I'll say favor, grace, to show the angels, to show the heavenly host who he really is, created man. Now, he created man with the same free will, the same freedom. And Satan was able to deceive man. But here we are. Man didn't die either. He didn't just lock off man. The natural effects of sin is what kills man. Because imagine living forever in a sinful world. Your body deteriorating, diseases, getting diseases all the time. But just continuing to live forever. I am 31 years old. Often I say I am tired. And I genuinely mean that from the bottom of my heart. Even when I was a teenager, I think I've already said this. I said to my father, I wish I could go to sleep for years and not wake up. I am tired. He said, you're too young to be thinking this way. I said, no, this life is not for me. There's too much wickedness. It's too much of a routine of the same thing. And you don't seem to get anywhere. The richer seem to get, be getting richer. The wicked seem to be prevailing against the righteous. And it's like when you do the right thing, it seems like you are the one who's constantly drawing the short straw. Mm. You know what I mean? So that I know that that's where people's mind goes. Well, that's not a God of justice. Why would he do that? And that's why I don't follow that God. Because if he knew, he knew everything. If he's all knowing, then he knew that this would happen. Why didn't he just kill us? This is why. You and me have to decide if this God, if this ruler is just or not. And when we all decide, us who who don't live in heaven, us who haven't got wings, us who don't dwell with God in heaven, when we who are lower than those created in heaven, when we decide that this ruler, and we make up our mind and say this ruler is just, it won't be out of fear, it will be out of love. It won't be because we're afraid we're gonna get out, we're gonna get locked off as well. It will be because we want to. When that day happens, when every man has made up his mind, then the wicked, including Satan, will get locked off. Now, who would argue against that? Everybody has been given a decision to make up their mind. Even Lucifer was given the opportunity to change his mind. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about you insane hollywood ass so to recap we're cutting the price of mint unlimited from 30 dollars a month to just 15 dollars a month give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch 45 dollars up front for three months plus taxes and fees promote for new customers for limited time unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows full terms at mintmobile.com 
even Adam and Eve were warned about the evils that were hanging about. You know what I mean? Now that is the God that I serve. The God that who considers all aspects of things and don't just act on a whim. Just because that's what we would do as humans doesn't mean that that's what God should have done because he knows more than you do and he knows more than I do. So, Seventh-day Adventists on the day of worship. Not only did God rest on the seventh day, but he set this day aside for rest. He made it holy and blessed it and commanded his living creation to rest as well. The fourth commandment, Exodus 20, verse 8 to 11, instructs mankind to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. That remembrance is talking about the culmination of this very week of creation where God made time to enjoy this world with the human race he created. Because the heavens and earth were finished, God paused. He asked us to pause with him each week as a reminder that he is our creator. And this world was given to us to live and to live in and help take care of. We owe our every being to him. And by spending time appreciating his creation, we honor him and grow closer to him. Yes, I trust that and I believe that. And I believe there's something about going to church on the seventh day. I used to find it so long. Oh my gosh, rose eyes that I was a Seventh-day Adventist. I used to find Sabbath a little bit long. You know what I mean? But that's because I didn't see the beauty in it. But now I see... I see the necessity of it. I see the beauty in it. And I do agree that we need to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. We need a moment to pause and reflect on everything that God created. Okay. As a child, it can seem a little bit like, why? Because, you know, we, from sundown to sundown, Friday night to Saturday sundown, that's the Sabbath for us. In this day, we don't watch regular TV. I think I've already covered this before. We don't watch regular TV. We don't go to work. We don't buy, sell, unless it's absolutely necessary. You know what I mean? Um, for example, a doctor, they're, li- they're saving life. But to me, that, that's all between you and God. I am not a legalist who's going to be like, oh, I think this is this, because I am not your judge. You understand? But doctors are doing work outside of themselves to save lives. But then the issue, I think, when many people comes to, well, they're earning. So what happens with that? I don't know. That's between them and God. Let's leave these matters to God. So um, I believe that the Sabbath day truly was meant to be a day of reflection. And the Bible says that um, the Sabbath was created for man not man for the Sabbath. So we are not the ones who were created for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was created for us. We are meant to reflect. We are meant to rest. We are meant to commune with God on that day. We are meant to remember our God. And we are meant to not ever forget. Over the years, I think people, we have become very asleep, especially Seventh-day Adventists. Let me speak to my fellow Adventists. We have become asleep to what this day truly means. It has become just a habit, a routine. We go, we pray, we worship, and we go home or whatever. Life continues as usual. But I would really implore you to really stop and to really consider the week you've just had 
and to consider what you are going to do, where you're going and what you are going to do. And to look at everybody's faces. Usually everybody's faces is looking a little bit glum because people have got their issues going on, right? But smile at people, greet people, talk to people, encourage one another in Christ because this day is the day that we're meant to be spending with like-minded people to worship our creator. Seventh-day Adventists on Jesus. God created, God the eternal son became incarnate in Jesus Christ. Through him, all things were created. The character of God is revealed. The salvation of um, humanity is accomplished and the world is judged. Forever truly God, he became also truly human. Jesus the Christ, he was, became human, Jesus the Christ. He was conceived of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He lived and experienced temptation as a human being, but perfectly exemplified the righteousness and love of God. By his miracles, he manifested God's power and was attested as God's promised Messiah. He suffered and died voluntarily on the cross for our sins. And in our place, he in our place was raised from the dead. And ascended to heaven to minister in a heavenly sanctuary on our behalf. He will come again in glory for the final deliverance of his people and the restoration of all things. I want you guys to cast your mind to the suffering of Israel in Egypt. And God says to Moses, I have seen the suffering of my people in Egypt. I want you to go and tell Pharaoh, that says the Lord, let my people go. All right, we know the story. This story, the reason why the Israelites and Israel, physical Israel, the actual Jews and spiritual Israel, the reason why it's so prominent is because that same rescue mission that God sent Moses to go on, that's the rescue mission that Jesus came to do for the whole world. To release us from bondage. To release us from slavery. To say to Satan, that says me, the I am, let my people go. And indeed, he became the sacrifice for us. He basically, a life for a life, if that makes sense. One life for many lives. And I've heard people go, what kind of God will send his only son to be brutalized and to be murdered? That's crazy. What kind of God will do that? Listen, Jesus wasn't just an ordinary kid. He was God. And he was the son of God. The salvation plan was Jesus died. Death is final, basically. For those who die, the second death, it's final. But Jesus resurrected, so he conquered death for those who were meant to die, basically. Without Jesus dying on the cross and dying for our sins, we would have just been perishing forever. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Without Jesus, we would surely perish forever and ever and ever. But because of Jesus, 
He died and resurrected. Thus he conquered death. Thus he has victory over death. Thus we are assured that if we walk and talk and live and have a relationship with Christ and have faith and believe, we will not surely die, but only through Christ. We will not perish. We will resurrect one day. But those who don't, those who lean on their own understanding, those who believe that they could be like God, those who believe that they can govern themselves and they don't need governance by God, they will surely die. They will perish. So let's read some verses, okay? Let's read Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. Verse 4 to 6. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. Have I not just said that, that people deep, deep people say this? And why can't I go to do that? What kind of father would do that to his own son? Right? Yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. All we like, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This wasn't something that was forced on Jesus. This is something that he wanted to do. Why, Tawonga? Why do you say that he wanted to do this? Why would somebody want to do this? In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men and the light shines in darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. Okay. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness to the light in him. So I'm going, but this is John chapter one. And I read verse four. I read from verse one to verse five and I've just read verse six. But let me go and read verse four again. In him was life and the life was the light of men. Okay. Chapter six said, sorry, chapter um, verse seven says, this man came for a witness to bear witness to the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light. John the Baptist was not that light, but was, was sent to bear witness to that light. But John the Baptist was sent to bear witness of that light. And that light is Jesus. That light was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own did not receive him talking about the Jews. But as many as received him. To them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. That's why Jesus volunteered. That's why this wasn't something that was forced upon him because he is the creator. In him everything was made and through him and for him. Now, somebody might be like, oh, I'm so confused. Don't be. Don't be. It's like 
you can't separate God the Father and God the Son. But this is why, I hope that made sense. Maybe I made it worse. But this is why Jesus is the sacrifice. He's a volunteer to be the sacrifice. You know, I, I've, I watched Hunger Games back in the day and one of them was like, well, I, well some of them had to volunteer as tribute. I volunteer as tribute. That was basically Jesus. I volunteer. I will do this. I will reconcile these people to myself. I love them. I created them. They are mine. So when you deep that, you deep the love of Jesus. You should, that should humble you and that should make you feel special. That should make you feel like you are worth something. Whatever it is that you're going through in life, you may be suffering with mental health, you may be struggling with finances, whatever you're struggling with, know that Jesus is interested in you and interested in all your problems. He died for you and that's nothing small. That's no Mickey Mouse thing, you get me? So death, what does the Bible say about death? The Bible says that those who have died know nothing. That means we aren't aware of the passage of time after death. We aren't aware of what happened, what's, what's happening in the world. Death is like a deep sleep. Your body and spirit rests as the breath of life, which makes body and soul one and alive. Um, uh, da, 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 da. Your body and spirit rest as the breath of life, which makes body and soul one and alive, has returned to God until the resurrection. That doesn't mean that you are living with God. Just you have returned to God who created you, but you are still dead. You are not conscious of anything. You are just waiting for that judgment day. You get me? Whether you've lost a loved one or want to know what happens when you die, it's a question that weighs on everyone's mind at some point. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. And they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished. And forever they have no more, sh no more share in all that is done under the sun. Ecclesiastes 9 verse 5 to 6. And thus the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Ecclesiastes 12 verse 7. In the beginning, God made man in the garden of Eden and from dust of the earth. Then he breathed the life, the breath of life into Adam's nostrils. In that moment, Adam became a living being. Then the Lord God formed the man from, of dust from the ground and breathed into nostrils. And he breathed the, the breath of life and the man became a living creature. Genesis 2 verse 7. Notice the verse says Adam became a living creature when God breathed the breath of life into his nostrils. The King James Version says it in this way. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. Genesis 2 verse 7. His breath is what made him a living soul, a living creature. When we die, we stop breathing and we rest. Nowhere in the Bible does it say the soul is separate from the body. A soul is a living creature. A soul is a combination of a body plus the breath of life. The soul cannot exist without the body or the breath. And this is why I have said, when, what, how come if our souls really, we continue being conscious and we go to heaven and we continue living there, what would be the need for the resurrection? Why would the Bible say the dead 
will rise and they they will be caught up in the air. Why would we need to our grace to open and be caught up in the air with our bodies? Why would the Bible say in the twinkling of an eye will be transformed? Why does the Bible say that this mortal will put on immortality? Why is the Bible so clear on these things, but yet we say, mm, there's life after death? No, friends, no. Okay, it just logically, it just doesn't make sense. But comfort wise, feel good wise, deceived wise, it makes sense. It's what people would want to believe. It's what I would tell myself to comfort myself, to be like, when my mom dies or when my dad dies or when I die, at least I won't be dead forever. I'll still be watching over Olivia. My mom will still be watching over me. It's something that's comforting, but it's not true. It's lies I've convinced myself. It's as real as Santa Claus and the tooth fairy being real, you know? And those are comforting, feel-good things that we tell our kids or we teach people and people believe in the magic of Christmas and the magic of this, but it's not real, you know? So that just wouldn't make any sense. We can see this idea illustrated by looking at a light bulb. Without electricity, a light bulb has no light. In order to produce light, both the light bulb and the electricity are needed. Similarly, the body has no life without breath of God. Your soul is not a separate being. Some religions or denominations teach other ideas about what happens when we die. For instance, some people believe in purgatory, reincarnation, immortality of the soul, the afterlife, ETC. Pretty much every single religion I've covered thus far believes in this it is important when looking at different ideas about the state of the dead to weigh each teaching according to the bible if they do not speak according to the word to this word it is because there is no light in them isaiah 8 verse 20 the bible says death is like a sleep and the dead know nothing but there is no need to worry about loved one who has passed away they are resting peacefully in the grave they are not in pain. They are not somewhere else being tormented. They are simply waiting in the grave until Jesus comes back. The Bible specifically mentions some people that God brought to heaven, Enoch, Moses, and Elijah, were each taken to be in heaven according to the Bible. There is also evidence that some people were taken to heaven after Christ's crucifixion. Genesis 5, verse 21 and 24. Let's go and read this. Genesis 5. Verse 21 and 24. And it reads, Enoch lived 65 years old and begot Methuselah. After he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 320, 365 years. And Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. Okay, let's go and read Mark 9 verse 1. He said, to, and he said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that there is there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God present with power. There are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God present with power. Jude 1, Jude only has one chapter, so <laughs> Jude 1 verse 9, it says, Yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke you. This was when God was taking Moses, was resurrecting Moses. But basically, 
unless God has resurrected you, I think I covered this last week. God had to, um, what's his, what's his face? Lazarus needed a resurrector. Jairus's daughter, a resurrector. Even the kid who died that Elisha resurrected, he needed the power of God to resurrect him. You know what I mean? If all these people needed a resurrector, all but one, all but one needed a resurrector, why then would we be any different? Why would we go and dwell and live with God when all these other ones that came before us were resurrected? Why would we die and not need resurrection but go straight to heaven? And if these people were already in heaven, then why did God need to resurrect them? Why did he need the body? Why did he need their bodies? He could have just zapped them a new body. Unless, of course, we need our bodies to be reconciled with the life in order to be resurrected because we are us. Okay? So... However, the overwhelming majority of people do not go straight up to heaven after death. This is a very important point in the Bible. Death is compared to sleep. This comparison um, occurs in many places in the Old Testament. 1 Kings 1 verse 21, Job 7 verse 21, um, Job 14 verse 12, Psalms 13 verse 3, Jeremiah 51 verse 39 to 57, Daniel 12 verse 2. Over and over, the phrase slept or rested with his fathers is used to talk about the passing of Israel and Judas kings. This is so true. It is also found in the New Testament. Jesus compared death to sleep when he resurrects the daughter of Jairus after she succumbed to her illness, Mark 5, Luke 8. He does it again when he brings his friend Lazarus back to life, John 11. As Christ was resurrected, Matthew tells us, many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. Now, Nothing I have read you has been from anywhere but the Bible. I haven't read you anything from Ellen G. White's writings. I haven't read you anything from any uh, Seventh-day Adventist author. All the things you have heard me read has been from the Bible. Everything that SDAs claim is backed up by scripture. Sola Scriptura, Bible only, the Bible only. Anyway, Seventh-day Adventists on salvation. Salvation means we are delivered, we are saved. Through humanity, though humanity is subject to the eternal consequences of sin, God has given us a way out through the sacrifice of his only son, Jesus. Salvation is God's gift to save us from eternal death. Ever since the beginning of the earth, humans have chosen to disobey, but God, in his great love, chose to redeem us. We were doomed to destruction, but God gave us his son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. John 3, 16. The sacrifice of Jesus made our salvation possible. He gave his perfect life to make a way for us to be saved. Salvation satisfies the demands of God's law and his wrath against sin, while at the same time showing God's love for sinners. Hmm. God, God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us, Romans 5 verse 8. Seventh-day Christians believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to receive salvation. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men, given among men by which we must be saved, Acts 4 verse 12. His life 
death and resurrection secures our salvation. We need a savior. We need a savior. We watch many films, right? We watch many films, many shows. And the theme on most of these, right? Even if it's like teen um, shows or films, the theme of it is good and evil. Okay? The theme of it is good and evil. There's always a protagonist. I don't know if that's the right word. And the antagonist. There's always the popular girls, the mean girls or the mean boys, the jocks or whatever it is. And the, the, the geeks, you know. But there's always somebody who comes in somehow and saves the day and stands up for these people. These themes is basically the Bible, really. We need somebody to save us. I, I listened to a podcast, right? I listened to a podcast. And in this podcast, I was listening, listening, listening. And these the hosts were like, oh, things are just going so messed up at the moment. Things are just kicking off. Global warming, da da da, da. And they were talking about naturally what's happening in the world, the wickedness and the, the, the state of the earth. And the woman goes, oh, don't worry. Somebody will come. Somebody will come and save us. Somebody's going to basically sort it out someone is going to come and sort it out what a mentality to have but we yet we don't believe in somebody coming to sort it out and that person was jesus christ how come how come we rely on other human beings how come we call other human beings heroes when they do a great thing but we don't even recognize what jesus did for us how come we don't believe in that I know that we're an evidence-based people. We need to see the evidence. But the evidence is there because there are witnesses. Why is it that I can go online and read a true crime story of people I never met from Adam and I can see the witness statements and I'll be like, rah, and take their word for it. But I don't want to take the witness accounts of those who wrote about Jesus. How come? Friends, let us ask ourselves those things, okay? In infinite love and mercy, God made Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might be made the righteousness of God. Led by the Holy Spirit, we sense our need, acknowledge our sinfulness, repent of our transgressions, and exercise faith in Jesus as Savior and Lord. Stop substitute, substitute, substitute and example. This saving faith comes through the divine power of the word and is the gift of God's grace. Through Christ, we are justified, adopted as God's sons and daughters and delivered from the lordship of sin. That's Satan. Through the spirit, we are born again and sanctified. The spirit renews our minds. God writes laws of love in our hearts and we are given the power to live a holy life abiding in him. We become partakers of the divine nature and we have the assurance and salvation now and in the judgment. Amazing. Amazing. Let's go and read 2 Corinthians. Let's go and read 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 to 21. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old, old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. 
Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing the trespasses to them, and has committed to, to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we're ambassadors of Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of him, of God in him. Basically, what this is saying is Christ, God the Father, through Christ, reconciled us to him. Now, when we choose Christ and we say, I have decided, I have decided to follow Jesus. When we do that, right, we are now the ambassadors. We can now reconcile other people. What I am doing right now is telling you this good news so that you can also be reconciled because I am the ambassador of Christ, because we have been given that authority, right? Now then, we are ambassadors of Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. I implore you, seek God, trust God, test and see that the Lord is good. Okay, God will surely direct your paths. SDA is on heaven. Starting from basics, heaven is a literal place where God resides. It is not just a comforting idea or a state of mind. As we have heard with the other religions of heaven is just a state of mind and hell is what you make of it on earth. It's real. It's literal. The Bible says that. The Bible says God rules the universe from heaven. This can be found in Psalms 33, verse 13 and 14. And the light of his glory fills the entire place. Jesus came from heaven before he took human form on earth and he returned to heaven after his earthly ministry was completed. Luke 24 verse 50 to 53, Acts 1 verse 1 to 11. We also know that the, that heaven is big enough for all humanity. God is preparing a place for us um, in heaven and he hopes that none would perish but that all would repent and choose eternal life with him. Second uh, Peter two, Second Peter three, verse nine. Jesus is also described. Jesus also described heaven as his father's house. This can be found in John fourteen, verse two. Hebrews twelve, verse twenty-two to twenty-three echoes this, calling it the city of the living God. It is a place where God will reign. God God's will reigns perfectly. Matthew six, verse ten. It is a true paradise, a most wonderful and perfect place of the universe. This is amazing news that there really is a place so eternally magnificent beyond this earth, finite existence. God really will restore his believers into eternal beings, be, beings to live with him forever. Heaven isn't just a figment of our imagination. It's not just a figment, of, a figment of our imagination. When we look up, we look at the heavens, right? We look up and we call those the heavens. But beyond that, there is heaven, the location. If we can say, God, drop your pin, and he dropped us his pin, we would see a place we've never seen before on that pin. And guess what? You and me would not be able to get there at all. We would not be able to study it. We would not be able to explore it. We would not be able to go there if God was to drop us his pin. But it exists. 
the very fact that we can look up at the at the sky, the very fact that we look up at the at, at the stars, at the planets, and we look at that and we go, whoa, there is heaven, and that heaven will make us go, whoa. Okay. SDA is on hell. At the end of the millennium, we can read about the millennium, the millennium in the book of Revelation. At the end of the millennium, all the wicked will be resurrected. Revelation 25 and verse 5 says, The rest of the dead, the wicked, did not come to life, uh, did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. Verse 7 says that when the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison. What does this mean? Verse 3 says that Satan was locked locked in their best to keep him from deceiving the nations um to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended let's just go and read this quickly so that we can have the full picture of what is written in revelation chapter 20 so verse one says then i saw an angel coming down from heaven having the key to the bottomless pit had a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal in him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. After these things, he must be released for a little while. Guys, when, when, when you hear these words and when I read these things or when you read these words yourselves, are you not filled with chills like this is the truth? So, Satan will be bound so that he should deceive the nations no longer. It means that life as you know it, wickedness as you know it, everything as you know it, there is going to be an end to it. And that, that one who is responsible is the one that's going to suffer the most. Okay. Now, let me say this with, I will say, just to be compassionate. It is through no fault of your own that you were born into a sinful world. It's through no fault of your own. But as we read, your choices are what counts. What you choose to do in the life that you are born in is what counts. Okay? You can't help wickedness in the world. When you were born, you didn't know this wickedness, but you couldn't help it. But now you are aware of it. And now you know that there is wickedness and there is good that exists. What do you choose to do? When you are aware that drugs harm you, what do you choose to do with that knowledge? When you are aware that cheating causes heartache, it causes pain, what do you do with that knowledge? When you're aware that bullying creates trauma and hurts people, what do you do with that knowledge? We are all aware of good and we are all aware of bad. What do we choose to do? That is what you can help, okay? Now, Satan was bound and locked up. The reason why Satan cannot tempt anyone during the millennium is that with the righteousness in, in heaven and the wicked dead, there will be no one to tempt. At the close of the millennium, when the wicked are resurrected, there will be once again people to join him in his rebellion against God. This is what we understand Satan's release from prison to mean. 
In Revelation 21 verse 2, John says that he saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. In Revelation 20 verse 9, John says that he saw wicked surrounding the camp of God's people, the city he loves. And this city is New Jerusalem. So the descent of the New Jerusalem to the people will care somewhat. Um, of New Jerusalem to the earth will occur simultaneously as the wicked are resurrected and Satan is released from his prison. Okay. Following the judgment of the wicked, they would be destroyed in the lake of fire. However, Peter also describes this lake of fire and he says that the earth itself will be burnt up. Yeah. Let's go read second Peter three, verse 10 to 12. Second Peter three, verse 10 to 12 but the day of the lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat both the earth and the works that are in it will be burnt up therefore since all these things will be dissolved what manner of persons ought you to be in that in in holy conduct and godliness looking for and hastening the coming of the day of god because of which the heavens will be dissolved being on fire and the elements will melt with fervent fervent heat nevertheless we according to the promise look for new heavens and new earth in which the righteousness dwells peter is saying if these things are going to happen so what person do, are, are you ought to be what person should you be? Which side are you standing on? If you know the wickedness are going to be destroyed, if you know that the earth, as you know, is going to be destroyed with fervent heat, right? And everything will be melted away. What person ought you to be? Hmm. Thus hell is not in, in, it is not off in some distant part of the universe. It is not at the center of earth and it's not happening now. Hell will be the destruction of the entire planet by fire at the end of the millennium. This is truth. What kind of life or idea or thought would we be living happy knowing that people are currently burning and suffering? How could we ever find rest in that? How can people actually be happy or, oh, you know, see you in hell? How can you say that and be okay with yourself? <laughs> the lake of fire in Revelation 20 verse 14 to 15 is followed immediately by the, re the recreation of our planet into a new heaven and a new earth. Revelation 21 verse 1. Peter used the very same language when after describing the destruction of the world by fire, he said that there would be a new heaven and a new earth. Um, the home of the righteousness. Some people argue that the wicked will burn in hell throughout eternity. However, he since hell and the lake of fire that destroys the earth are one and the same, hell cannot last forever if the world is going is to be recreated as the home of the righteous. Just basic sound logic. If God will create a new heaven and a new earth. Where exactly do we suggest hell is going to be? If the Bible says there will be a lake of fire on earth, the wicked would die on earth, will be consumed up by fire on earth. And this is known as the second death. And God created a new heaven and a new earth for the former things have passed away. Where do we suggest that fire that hell is going to be transferred to. 
And why then would we think that it's currently burning now? Where is it? It just doesn't add up, does it? It doesn't add up the idea that currently there's hell happening, but then there's going to be a lake of fire on earth when the wicked are resurrected, because that's what the Bible says. But the other things, it's, it's ideas, people's ideas to make life make sense for them. But the Bible is plain and it's clear. God is not the author of confusion. God will not lead you astray in the truth. But you, because you rely on your own understanding, you rely on your own wisdom, and you don't want God's wisdom, you want to interpret things and to put your own spin on it, and you go forth and you teach the masses and you deceive the masses. But Satan is behind that spirit. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Satan wants to claim as many people as possible. It's the mentality of, if I can't have you, no one can. If I can't be in heaven, I don't want anybody else to be in heaven. If I'm denied heaven forever, I want more people to be denied heaven forever. If this is my seal and my, 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 my faith, this is what I have to live with, I'm not going down without a fight. And I'm going to take as many people down with me because he knows God loves his people. He knows God loves humans. The good news about the millennium is that its conclusion, evil will be completely cleansed from the earth and from the universe. All wars, natural disasters, pain, weeping will be a thing of the past. Revelation 21 verse 14, and God's people will enjoy fellowship with God, Jesus and the angels throughout eternity. Hallelujah. Amen. This is why I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. This is why when I found God and I converted truly, I said, God is real. And my purpose in this life is not for myself, is to serve others and to serve my God. When I realized that and the Bible confirmed this truth. It's when I realized that this is what I've been taught all my life anyway. You can acquire all the knowledge you want to acquire. You can go to the ends of the earth, mingle with this culture, that culture, live the life they live, practice the life that they uh, practice their beliefs. But you will only thus further end up confusing yourself. If you want to find the truth, cry out to the unknown God. Cry out to the unknown God. Don't cry to Allah, don't cry to Brahman, don't cry to Buddha, don't cry to any idols or any other gods. Cry to the unknown God, whoever you are. Because when, when Moses said to God, well, when they ask me who you are, when they ask me who sent me, what should I say? I don't even know your name, basically to paraphrase. And God says, I am who I am. Tell them that I am sent you. The unknown God. And I'm talking about the unknown God because when Paul went to a certain place, there were idol worshippers, but they had an altar. And the, on the altar, it said, to the unknown God. They acknowledged there was a God. 
a God that was not understood very easily, a God that they couldn't comprehend, but they still had an altar for that God. And Paul preached about the unknown God. If you want to find out the truth, be still and cry out to the unknown God. He will meet you there. He will find you. But if you want to go gallivanting and and fill your mind with so much knowledge and and truth, and I'm putting that in quotes, you will find yourself more confused than ever because everything could be concluded as the truth. The Buddhists believe what they believe is the truth. The Hindus believe what they believe is the truth. The Catholics believe what they believe is the truth. The the Jew, Jew, um, the Jews believe what they believe is the truth. The Muslims believe what they believe is the truth. All the other denominations of Christianity, what they believe is the truth. And it's the absolute truth. So how can you know it? Whoever you are, God, I want you to reveal the truth to me, whoever you are. If you are Brahman, you will. If you are Allah, you will. If you are Buddha, you will. Okay? Whoever you are, if you are the truth, you will reveal yourself to me and you will show me the truth. I don't need to go and look and to experience. I need you to show me. And that God, whoever he is, he will be faithful enough to show you. And I trust with every fiber in my being that that God is the creator God, the Bible God, the one who made the heavens and the earth, the I am. I believe that that's the unknown God because he revealed himself to me firsthand. I sought the Lord and he answered me firsthand. I told God, I will not go to church. I will not pray. Whoever you are, show yourself to me. And I said this in 2020, 2020. Okay. And what was it? End of 2022, early 2023, that's when I started to hear the answers, to get the answers from God. But I, I kept my end of the bargain. I was still, you find, you meet me where I'm at. So to the unknown God, reveal the truth to me. All I seek is the truth. And if you truly mean that, and if you're truly ready, God will know it. And he will show himself to you. You have to be willing to accept what God reveals to you. But if you lean on your own understanding, then you will find many truths. And thus you will end up confused. And thus your mind will blow in like a, like a leaf in the wind. It will go here, there and everywhere. But I have made up my mind that I will follow a church and a faith and a belief that believes in the Bible. Okay? And the leaders thereof, if they point me to the Bible, that's where I'm at. Now, don't get me wrong. With every single movement, you find people who are on extreme ends, the people who are very extreme, legalistic, da, 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 and the people who are very slack and very relaxed. Okay? I find myself to be, I'm going to say precise, 
You know what I mean? I don't always get things right. But I find myself to truly believe in the Bible and the Bible alone. When I listen to Ellen G. White, I love the fact that she's always pointing us and citing the Bible. She's always pointing us to the Bible and always citing where we can find it in the Bible. To me, that's not a false prophet. But the people who talk about, I had a prophecy, God spoke to me in vision, but they can't back it up with scripture. God told me you need to sow a seed. God, I, I prophesy that your life is going to have a breakthrough. You will have a breakthrough today. Those people, where in the Bible? Where does it say that at? <laughs> where can I find that at? Because the prophecies on the Bible were beneficial or were, were relevant to many people. But you get these internet preachers who prophesying left right and center about this that and the other prophesying about things that concern celebrities to me beware beware of wolves in sheep clothing but turn your eyes upon jesus and look for him his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim okay will grow strangely dim. You will realize that the things where you have been focusing your mind on, the things you have been purposing yourself for, that's not God's purpose for you. You were created in glory for glory. You are more than what you think you are. You are a child of God. You are Jesus' inheritance. And you are supposed to have eternal life. Only trust in God. Only follow the lamb wherever he goes. Only keep his commandments and love your neighbor and love your God. It sounds like it's tough, but it's not. Because when you give your life to Jesus and you are a new creature, all these things just follow naturally. You find yourself getting convicted from not doing something. You're like, oh, I should have done that for my neighbor. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. And you find yourself going, oh, I'm just going to have to do it. Because you're feeling convicted. Anyway, let me leave it there, friends. Let me leave it there. I hope that you have learnt much about what it is that I believe. Okay? I hope that it has been beneficial. As usual, I will link the information, where I got this information from. You can find it. The good news is you can find it on one website page, which is the official Adventist um, website. So I'm going to link that in the description. If you're interested in learning more, please email me at Tawonga with three A's. If I, um, why do I always do that? Email me at Tawonga with three A's at the end. So Tawonga at gmail.com or if I didn't laugh at cry at gmail.com. Or you can follow me. You can follow me on TikTok. If I didn't laugh, I'd cry on TikTok, guys. Please follow me on TikTok. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Because um, I'm on there and I'm starting to post again on um on tiktok so yeah follow me on tiktok dm me you know what i mean if going all the way to emails is a little bit long come and dm me on tiktok and let's talk but yeah let me leave you with this friends let me leave you with this we are more than conquerors through him who loved us Wah, wah, wah. I'm sorry the episode is over, but please tune in next week for another exciting journey. Goodbye, goodbye, bye, bye, bye. Have good vibes.
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, this is Paige from Giggly Squad, and I want to talk to you about Splash Refresher and my water intake. Okay, so you guys obviously know that I'm a hydrated girly, but sometimes when you drink that much water, it starts to just taste bland and you're just like, I need something to spice it up. That's why I love Splash Refresher. It has zero sugar, zero calories, and it's a splash of sweetness. And they come in five different flavors. They're so good. Wild berry, acai grape, pineapple mango, lemon, and mandarin orange. My favorite is the wild berry because I just just love a berry. So if you're like me and you're drinking water all day, then try Splash Refresher. It's going to absolutely change your water game and it's good for you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.